Welcome to Hot Plate, the conversations we should be having about our food and drink. I'm your host, Mirella Amato. Today on Hot Plate, shellfish voyeurism, sequestering carbon, and a silly study on spice. Then on Weird Widget, we comb through some herbs. Here we are, episode 18. Episode 18, we did it. It's the end of season one. What? Give it up, girl. Fantastic. One whole season of the hot plate. Can you believe it, listeners? Feels good. It feels great. Mm-hmm. 18. Very, very exciting. So who are? This is going to be our last episode of season one. It is. We'll take a little hiatus for the summer. Very nice. Yes. Take I'm in a go. little sun. Yes. I'm going to do some traveling. Nice. Come back with lots of dreamy things to talk about. And uh, we'll be back after the summer. That's it. We look forward to, to, to chatting all over again with all of you. Thanks for listening. But we still have this episode to go, so let's dive in. Let's go. So, Josh, now I came across this article mm-hmm. and I have to say it fascinated me. Tell me. <laughs> it was in the New York Times, I believe, and the article is entitled Queen of Eating Shellfish Online. Okay. And it's about this woman who has made more than a million dollars eating shellfish on YouTube. She does mostly fish boils and uh, just, you know, cracks things open, dips them in butter and eats them. (laughs) And this is a thing. And people are paying to watch. Uh, Yeah. Well, I'm guessing it's advertising revenue. Mostly, because the videos are free. The subscription's free, online. right. So this is uh, part of a tradition called mukbang. Okay. I'll read you a quote from the article. Uh, mukbang seems to have begun as an internet trend more than a decade ago in South Korea. The name is a mashup of the Korean word for let's eat, which is mukja, and broadcasting, which is bang song. So, okay. And this bit... Um, Made me a little bit sad, but Korean live streamers often schedule their mukbang videos to align with dinner time hours, so viewers eating alone at home feel like they're sharing a meal yes. with a friend. Yes, I have witnessed this phenomenon. You have? Yes, I went deep in a rabbit hole once watching these videos of this young Korean woman who had like four big dishes of food in front of her, uh, and she was just eating. And, like, not even really giving, it wasn't about reviews or anything. It's just people, and this woman made thousands of dollars a month. Right. This way. So a piece of this is definitely the overeating. Right. uh, It's part of the tradition. So you're saying she had a... Oh, the mega consumption. Okay. Um, But, yeah, I I did watch a few of this woman's videos, and and you're right. She's just eating. She says hello. Yeah. And she acknowledges the context. She, and then she eats. And then she eats. It and is, I, I, this feels really far away to me, right? I think, but there's, listen, the person, the, the advocate inside of me that wants to bring more people around the table for a meal feels mm-hmm. like there's an opportunity here. Okay. <laughs> because I have, in fact, uh, uh, had a FaceTime conversation with my brother in mm-hmm. Bangkok while he was eating something and I, you know, and I was eating something or we had Aww. a beer together or, you know, it oh, was I've sweet done, yeah, and it Skype worked beers. really nicely. Uh, so in that spirit of that, I was like, hey, man, that's fun. But there's another, there's the voyeur, the voyeurism. 
The overconsumption. Right. The broadcasting of the overconsumption, right? Because one of the things that we talk about Instagram Mm -hmm. about is that it it really, the the root of it is about conspicuous consumption. Yeah. Right? About food posts on Mm -hmm. Instagram. It's about conspicuous consumption. And that's really the same thing. Right? Right. This is the same thing. So here's an interesting tidbit, though. The article, you know, talked about some of the advantages people, you know, some of the reasons why people watch these videos. and. One of the reasons is people finds it, uh, find that it curbs their appetite, so they're less hungry after watching yeah, someone I overeat. Yeah, I get that. I get that. Well, in as much as when I cook, mm-hmm. especially if I'm cooking a big meal like Thanksgiving dinner or something, by the time that meal is cooked and ready to serve everybody else, mm-hmm. I make myself a grilled cheese sandwich. Really? Because I have the way I understand it is that I have already emotionally experienced this food. By tasting it progressively through the day. Right? And so I know how it all tastes. There's no Mm -hmm. mystery, you know, about all of that. I know how everything tastes. Um, And I'm a little little done with it. You know what you need? Tell me. Based on our earlier conversation, you need someone to come in with just one added food element to add on the plate. Because that'll stimulate oh, the part of you that needs to ch- taste every bo- oh, everything at the same time. Thank you. That's the truth. Because I should, the, uh, I, as you say this, I realize the one thing I'm missing is the amalgamated mouthful of everything together. Yeah. Right. Oh, I love that. So here's, I mean, I don't even want to get into the fact that it's overconsumption and that it's fish, that it's yes. shellfish. It's the least smartest thing the, to be excessive, excessively consuming. Just environmentally, that's the worst. Yeah. That's upsetting. But um, so here's the thing. I I kind of became a little obsessed. (laughs) I would too. It's so fascinating. So this woman has two channels, one where she just eats. Yeah. And then this other channel where she does a very um, sound focused eating. Oh, this ASMR, ASMR. The ASMR. back on the ASMR. And a lot of people report that they enjoy these eating videos because they get this ASMR reaction. So I was looking, for those who don't know, ASMR is Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response. Uh, It's not a medically recognized condition, but um, a lot of people report that when they hear certain soft sounds and lip smacking uh, and eating sounds are some of them, they get a tingling Mm -hmm, sensation mm -hmm. down their spine. Um, which I found entertaining because uh, the last thing, and oh, and they find it relaxing. Oh, God. <laughs> the last thing I feel oh, when I hear someone smacking their lips is relaxed. Me too, sister. Uh-uh. And we've bonded over this uh-uh. before because we have another condition that is not medically recognized, right. which is uh, misophonia. Yes. Which is when sounds trigger emotions. Irrational rage is what happens over here. Yeah. Right? Anger. It instantaneous, irrational rage. And they know that misophonia exists. They just don't know what it is. Yeah. And I read a really interesting theory today, which is that it might be uh, a type of synesthesia. You know, synesthesia. The, I don't synesthesia know is. is like um, it's often musicians who see music as colors. Okay. For example, Lord, the musician. Yeah. Uh, she sees sound as color. Whoa. It's a it's a condition. Cool. And so they're one of the going theories is that our uh, sense of hearing is linked to our emotions. 
So it's a sound mm. emotion synesthesia. Mm-hmm. And that kind of makes sense to me because oh, if I hear I a nice see. aria, I'm going to burst into tears. Uh, me too, 100%. There's that connection there. Yep. But we digress. Back Indeed. to, back to shellfish. Back to the sh- okay. Okay, so here's the crazy thing. So at the simul- like the, the, in, in the news, I've seen lots of interesting shellfish stories. So while this Korean lady is consuming huge amounts of shellfish, mm-hmm. uh, I, found, I saw this other piece about the fact that excessively high temperatures are causing shellfish to start cooking, mussels to start cooking in their shells. Oh my goodness. Still attached, you know, to the, to the sort of their root connection. So this is the, the rising water. heat of the temperature of the yes. oceans? Yes. Oh my goodness. Right? And, and hot, hot days, like the water, right? Can you, and I was like, uh, my, like my stomach wrenched at the thought of all of this. Yeah. And about what this means and the fact that cooked seafood, like cooked, the, 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 that environment is never about cooked things. Yeah. So now how many of them are cooked? What's that? Also, there's the sort of like, did they get fully cooked? Did they get half cooked? Because then they're like, well, how are they dealing with this all? Oh, that's so sad. It is just the domino roll of that just is really terrifying, right? And listen, the only thing that this screams to me is mm. that climate change is a real thing. It absolutely is right? a real this thing. This is such a clear indicator uh, because the balance is off. The water's not supposed to be this hot. No. But it's not supposed to be warm enough to make a seafood boil in the ocean. Right, it's terrifying. Where I was like, this—it's just—it's all these wild circumstances all happening at one time. Yeah, it's definitely uh, an unfortunate choice to overeat seafood for a living. I mean, I wonder here. Okay, but I understand because you know, there's the you know the crunch of the claws and the pulling things apart. It's much more, uh, I would say, visually stimulating. Mm Then, but then, how much know, of this? Into a piece of meat. How much of this? Uh, what I keep thinking, because we're both having really strong responses to this, how much of this are we not catching because we don't? We're not steeped in Korean culture, Interesting. right? How much of the value of this are we potentially not catching because we're not? We don't get it. I hadn't thought of that. Right. Uh, I, I I don't actually know the answer to this, but I'm guessing it's got to be something. Hmm. Right. If, if 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 this feels really far away to us, why is that? And what is it about Korean culture? That has generated this because I've seen this, you know, I've and, seen and this is in it a seafood few. specifically in no, Korean culture as well. Or? I have seen, I've seen, I saw a woman who looked like it looked like I love she that had you've been watching these. <laughs> fascinating. <laughs> the new context in which people consume food, right, mm-hmm. is really fascinating. This woman had four big bowls. They look like one sort of ramen type thing, one bibimbap type thing, mm-hmm. right? And she just had her chopsticks and ate samples from each bowl. And, and just, just kept, kept no review, no response. It just and, pe- and you could see that there were people happily watching her. And did right? she slow down as she was getting to the end, or did she just plow through? She just plowed through with a sort of remarkable fortitude, considering the sort of small woman that she was. So I'm watching these videos, yeah. and uh, I immediately thought, okay, well, let's check out the comments. Of course, for sure. Because this is just eating, uh, you know, I, I don't even think I would have the energy to add a comment. I was so bored. Mm-hmm. But the comments, if I didn't know better, I would think it was just family and friends. Because right. it was all just loving encouragement. You go, girl. You're doing great. Oh, this so is there, wonderful to more watch. That we're, just, we're not getting here. Um, there's, you know, there's God a... bless you. <laughs> uh, it's so nice watching you eat. It's, wow. that's That was the tone 
of the comments. Maybe there's and backstory to this woman and her, her health and just, relationship with food that we don't know enough about. But these were, I don't think these were family and friends. That was just the tone. That was just the verb, the, the vibe from the of public. The, of the comments. This is like tons and tons of comments. So clearly people are getting something very positive Meaningful, out of yes. it. And something that you and I, you know, due to our pre-existing condition, cannot appreciate. I can't go near it. I can't go near it. But really interesting. It's, it is so fascinating. And which thing, is she's made over a million dollars. Well, this so. is exactly it, right? And it's sort of like the irony of not being able to investigate it because it sends me spiraling into irrational rage. Mm. Right? I, I'm limited with how much I can actually venture in because it is. I find it so fascinating. And I actually want to do a bit more research to figure out what's, what purpose this is serving. Because it yeah. is beyond the company. Yeah. There's more here happening than just about company, right? Well, it, it, there, there's the, the ASMR piece, which is yep. about, you know, people find it relaxing and some people, you know, like to fall asleep to it. Right. That kind of thing. Um, which explains the super positive comments, but right. I don't. But I, I just I'm could not, not imagine it. listening to somebody eat shrimp and oysters while I'm trying to fall asleep. <laughs> okay. So, Josh, now you had a. An environmental story for I us? do. I have some good news from the farm. Nice. Which is very, very exciting. So, um, this uh, this mess, this uh, news has come from the new farm, which is a farm just north of Toronto in Creemore. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and they are uh, an organic family farm. Uh, I've known them for very many years, and they really both Brent and Gill are the team, the husband wife team at the helm. And they're incredibly thoughtful about the way they are growing food and the impact that they're making on the soil as a result. Nice. Right? They're really, they're allies uh, and at the forefront of what I think uh, is a really important movement. So they currently grow salad greens that are delivered to restaurants in the city Mm -hmm. uh, via 100 Kilometer Foods, who's a distributor, who I think we may have mentioned at some point on the show. Um, And... What has um, what has sprung from this is a broader conversation about organic farming. Okay. Right. So let's I'm going to walk you through this because there's a lot to know. Mm-hmm. So let's first consider how we understand organic farming. Yes. Right. That's a, an important thing, and I think that the best way that I can sort of describe this is that there's two angles on organic farming. There's what you don't do, and Exercise. what you actually do. What you intentionally do. Okay. Right. So the what you do, what we know, organic farms do not use pe- any chemical pesticides, fertilizers or synthetic inputs of any kind. Right. Right. That just they're not used in any step of the growing. Mm-hmm. The other thing that is intentionally done on an organic farm are things like using cover crops to regenerate soil. Right. On land, on parts of your farm that are fallow. And okay. not growing for a season. People will plant clover again because it so is fixes. Is that like rotating crop sort of no, idea? That, that's no, that's another, that's another okay. thing. Crop rotation is but another thing. Changing what you're growing, swap, swapping yeah, it up so that the soil plants, is using plants, right? Okay. So for a yeah. whole season, a piece of land will just have clover growing on it. And that reworks and restores the integrity of the soil. Okay. 
right? Which is a more th- it's more thoughtful because you can't put in synthetics precisely. Uh, so you have to let is. you have to let nature kind of do its thing. So cover crops. Um, composting, which is what we know, using scraps to break down, as nice. you know what I mean, to nourish mm-hmm. again. And then crop rotation, which is move not just growing intensively the same crop on the same piece of land, season after season after season, moving yeah. it around, right? Because then the cows are grazing and their methane outputs and all of these things are a little bit more balanced and spread around so that the cows and their gassy activity can actually work for you. Nice. And their yeah. grazing can help. Right. It's not Mm -hmm. just about bearing down on one piece of land at a time. So um, I think that the best way that I heard uh, organic uh, growing described is that it's it's a shift from a more knowledge based input Mm -hmm. from uh, towards, sorry, a more knowledge based input from this chemical based approach to growing. Right. It's it's just instead of throwing on this thing that you bought that's made of stuff. That's it. You use your knowledge. A bit more wisdom and, and understanding the sort of the arrangement of and, the yeah. ecosystem that you're stewarding, right? So you the pay trick, attention. Yeah. Imagine, right? Yeah. So the thing is, what my friends Brent and Gill tell me a lot is that they're always pushing for me to pair organic growing with local eating whenever I talk about it, right? Okay. There because I've always said local trumps organic. Fair. Right, because I would sooner have people eat can locally raised conventional food, which is food that potentially has been sprayed, mm-hmm. than organic food that has been imported. Yeah, we have that issue right? with beer for many years because oh, yeah. uh, organic hops came from New Zealand. So if you were making or- an organic beer, you had to deal with the carbon footprint of of that mega journey. Hops. Yeah, right. So that makes sense to me. And and when I'd be in public and they'd be there, I'd see the two of them squirm. Right. Because they want the organics. Right. They are firm believers that the Mm -hmm. need for organic growing is just as important as the need for as the proximity piece around local stuff. Right. Right. So what they're telling me, though, is that the, the impact of climate change has progressed enough that we need to start thinking beyond sustainability Mm -hmm. towards regeneration. Okay. Okay. So now, in, uh, intru- like, I don't know that it's necessarily being introduced. I just think it's being uh, highlighted. Yeah, and brought to our attention considering where we are with our soil and mm-hmm. climate change and all of it. So regenerative organic farming is the same principle of organic farming, no mm-hmm. pesticides and this intentional, thoughtful use of the land. Yeah. But it also includes this thing called, uh, I got to pronounce it properly, uh, carbon... Sequestration. Sequestering, Sequestration. Sequestering yeah. carbon. Okay. Right? Yeah. Is what the is what the angle on regenerative organic growing is. So the idea being we have carbon emissions in our atmosphere, mm-hmm. which are greenhouse gases contributing to climate change. This is these are the gases that are yeah. making the atmosphere hotter. Right? Mm-hmm. So uh sequestering that carbon is possible because what can happen is that we can sequester it into the land or into the water because right. because our uh, the the transition that has been made over time from uh, f- from forested land to land for development for crops mm-hmm. for you know human use has put uh, has really eroded the carbon in the soil. Right, because carbon is acquired okay. in the soil, but the way we've used the land has stripped a lot of the carbon out of that soil. 
So this notion of sequestering carbon actually pulls the carbon from the atmosphere back into the soil. But isn't that what plants do? Don't they absorb? Is that carbon like carbon dioxide? It is part of it, but we're talking broader. Okay. Um, climate, like broader green, you know, the broader emissions, right? So, it's not just about this, because essentially the idea is mm-hmm. that we um, uh, carbon because the carbon is in the air, we actually need it in the ground. Yeah. Right. It's causing a lot of problems in the air, and the absence of it is causing a lot of problems in the ground. So the way they tackle this is that they have this sort of black sheeting. It's like agricultural garden farm sheeting, right? And that goes over the crops after the greens have been harvested. Oh, after it's been harvested. So they harvest all the beautiful, they have like scissors and they go mm-hmm. hand harvesting all the beautiful salad greens. And then the little, the little sort of stems are still there. Yes. Then they put a cover crop. They put, sorry, this black tarp mm-hmm. on top. That heat that gets trapped in will compost the little bits of stem and leaf, but it, all the carbon that would have been emitted by that process is trapped and kept underneath it's that sequestered. tarp. Sequestered and kept into the soil, right? So it's enriching that soil, preventing it from heading out there. But what our friends are telling us is that, um, uh, is that there is like the the volume of actual carbon that they can pull out of the atmosphere with this. There's some beautiful stat that if all the farms in the country even, <laughs> right, got together, huge, like hundreds, tens of thousands of volumes of carbon, we can start be pulled out. out of the of the uh, atmosphere, right? I so it's not- I wonder why more of them aren't Because it's it. much more intensive. It's an, ex- it's an extra step. It's, it's an extra step. It's more- it's much more human labor intensive. But this would only happen once a year, right? Because no, I no, grow no, no, lettuce. No. I mean, yeah. the lettuce, you just pick off the leaves and it keeps growing off the same plant. I don't pick the whole plant. Off. No. Are we talking about lettuce? or We're talking okay. about lettuce, but it's that root stem. Once you trim, once you pull a bunch, well, they also grow. Um, so they pick the whole lettuce off. Yeah. Okay. Well, but they grow... They grow small greens, so it's not about a whole fat head. Okay. Right? There's those smaller salad greens, which mm. are just like one little sprout of a thing or a cluster of, course, of them, right? Of that's what the customers want, is the small little dainty greens, not the big leafy Yeah, greens. yeah, yeah, Got yeah, it. yeah. It's going right in, in my mind, under. I was thinking of lettuce. No, no, no. Okay. It's salad greens, and they're those small, more delicate, beautiful things, <laughs> right? Which this particular farm is known for. Yeah. An especially gorgeous version of these greens. So, they are now producing these regenerative salad greens, so each time they make it, then they have to cover it, and I guess so that land is not is not in use. They have to grow it somewhere else. Well, and they have and many, they have many, many rows. Yeah, they have many, many, many rows of their salad greens. You'll see, and there's just a system. So yeah, it would definitely be more expensive. I could see right. how it's more expensive. Right. So they have partnered with a restaurant, and it's actually a group of restaurants called IQ Foods mm-hmm. here in Toronto, um, who regular they're sort of they have a regular sort of customer relationship. But IQ Foods has jumped in to start selling these greens. Nice. And and focusing on showcasing them on their summer menus, right? Obviously mm-hmm. in the growing season. Uh, and what is fascinating is, of course, my question was, how much more expensive are they? Right. Right? Because obviously they need to be a little bit more expensive, mm-hmm. uh, right? Because the, there's a lot more work involved in producing them. But what does this look like on the plate? Yes. So what they what what's interesting to what they've done is that they have essentially created an opt-in option. 
yeah, for their that. customers, right? So, the customer so it's like they have two choose. prices. Yeah. They have this sort of standard regular price, which would have been for the non-regenerative, although still organic greens. Mm-hmm. And then there's a suggested price for the organic greens. Which is, I think, 50 cents It's 50 more. cents more, right? Yeah. And then, and beautifully, their report from the first trial is that 85% of people uh, given the choice chose to pay the extra 50 cents. Nice. So that's encouraging, right? It's yeah. encouraging that in the, you know, 50 cents is a nice enough threshold of a thing Yeah. for people to be like, yeah, I can offer that up. Well, I'm sure that, I mean, that 50 cents a salad... That accumulates quickly. I think so too, yeah. right? I think, and it'll cover mm-hmm. whatever sort of elevated costs we're talking about here. But this, what I love about this is the partnership, right? There's a farmer, there's a distributor, and then there's a restaurant and a chef, right? Christine uh, is the name of the chef at the helm there. And everybody is working together to try and actually mitigate this and do something. IQ Foods has, I think, eight or 10 uh, locations around the city, and all of them are playing this game. They're all trying out these. Uh, they're all these trying out these be- regenerative greens, greens. Uh, and the beautiful phrase that they've come up with to describe this uh, this initiative is called "solve it with salad," <laughs> which I think is beautiful. Uh, so I love what they're doing. I think it is very exciting, uh, and I really like the conversation about organic growing to broaden beyond us. Yes. Right. Because previously it was organics was about I don't want to what do I want to put in my body. Right. And it's ultimately not a bunch of pesticides. Yes. But I think that where we are now is at a place where we have to think not only about what we want to put in our bodies. What about the planet? And what the planet actually needs us to do. Right. And the way that the planet needs us to start growing food and taking care of things. It's tough. Right. It's a really tricky bit. Um, And we're at this really pivotal moment where we have to rethink our priorities and the way we make our decisions. Uh, and I like I like that they've been brave enough to take the push and just put it out there and go for it. So Josh, now there's been a study at Penn State University that's getting quite a bit of attention. Right. Um, and, and brace yourself. <laughs> okay. They have, dis- they have uh, discovered that the best thing to consume to... Uh, mitigate the burn of spicy food is milk. (laughs) Eureka! (laughs) They figured it out. So these uh, researchers, uh, interestingly, their their goal was to find some relief for taste panels that have to taste spicy foods. Oh, like a wing competition or something like that? Uh, No, sensory panels, like scientific sensory panels. Okay, okay. Um, So clearly these people at Penn State have not heard about the e-tongue that we were talking about in episode 14. That has been solved. Um, So they had all these people drink, I think it was a a Bloody Mary or something spicy. Yeah, there was a Caesar or something like that. Right, right, right. And so then some, some of them drank Water, some of them drank cola, some of them drank cherry-flavored Kool-Aid, some drank seltzer water, some drank non-alcoholic beer, obviously because alcohol increases burn, and then skim milk and whole milk. And then they would check in with them every 10 seconds for two minutes to see if the, you know, if how well the burn relief. had okay. uh, diminished. And uh, they all provided some relief, but the the ones that provided the most relief uh, were the two milks, the skim milk and the whole milk. Right. Uh, and interestingly, the Kool-Aid as well. And the Kool-Aid too. <laughs> yes. um, oh. But I'm, 
honestly deeply annoyed with this study. Well, it's it's a bit it's a bit Columbusy, right? Like, why spend all this money? It's it's hilarious. On something we, I mean, we know. Don't don't we know? We know. This my people, <laughs> Indian people, have known this for a long time, right? which is why yogurt is always on the table. I mean, there's a bit of good tummy culture stuff happening with the yogurt too, but. Mm-hmm. From the moment, from as long as I can remember, whenever uh, we'd eat something that would burn us, someone would just put a bit of yogurt on our plate. And it worked. Right? And it put out the fire. Instantly and effectively. Right. Right? And we we know we would, like, we would sabotage our cousins. Right? Oh, really? And, like, not let them have access. When, when my brother and I <laughs> had one cousin who, like, didn't eat or didn't like spicy things or wasn't so big on Indian <gasps> food, and we're like, nah, kid. We were putting him in a training program. And we gave so him only a Coke. We'd put more chilies on his food and then only gave him a Coke. Oh, no. When all he knew he wanted was a glass of milk. Right. And then I think. Because carbonation also aggravates Oh, my God. It augments heat. it. It's terrible. <laughs> it's the worst. Right. It's the worst. A Coke is the worst. And he, I think that my cousin, if I remember correctly, he ran to the fridge, uh, the freezer for ice cream. Nice. He found ice cream and that put the fire out. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. Forever and ever and ever, dairy is what we use to combat, uh, you know, the intensity of the burn. If you can't just ride it out. Well, aren't you glad that it's now scientifically well, proven goodness. from people by Penn State? Thank goodness. Penn but State. So what seems curious is that they don't actually know why. That's the other reason I was right? deeply irritated. <laughs> They're not telling you why. If you're going to conduct a study, right? at least teach us something new. And have something. So my best answer mm-hmm. is, is uh, a chemical thing and that it's... Hot, spicy things are acidic. Right. And dairy is basic. Oh. And so the base of the dairy puts out the fire of the acid of the chili. <laughs> Let's wait for that study to come right? <laughs> Because these people were theorizing, they were saying uh, it, that originally it was thought that it was the milk fat. The fat, right. And so that's the big breakthrough with this study mm-hmm. is that the skim milk also oh, works. Oh, that was a, oh, so I see. So it's not the milk fat. It could be the protein. Uh, and no. then they've got this outlier Kool-Aid that they, right. they just explained away by saying, oh, uh, well, that probably didn't m- m- mitigate the spice at all. It probably just covered it up with sugar, w- oh, which I is true. Mad- which, yeah. Yeah. But still, it's just like way to just sweep just that one not under even the talk about the- <laughs> <laughs> like It was like a little P.S. Uh, that's really, it's super, super funny. Uh, I, things they spend, I'm, I would love to know how much they spent. I would love to know, actually. And, and no, no real conclusive like, we've just ruled one more thing out. Yeah. <laughs> but we haven't actually landed on what the issue is. And confirmed that common knowledge. It's time. Ooh, ooh, what you got? I've got a weird widget for you. Fantastic. I have never seen this before. Okay. But being a chef, you might already be very familiar with this tool. Okay. Are you ready? I am. Oh. Okay. So, okay, so what you have presented me actually looks like a green plastic comb. Yep. The trick is the teeth are two different sizes. There's a large and a small, half and half. And then there are four open circles in the in the sort of base and handle of the comb of graduated sizes. So when I see these holes, I've mm-hmm. seen them larger in other tools, and that is to measure pasta, pasta. pasta portioning. Yeah, that's a very good... Uh, that's what I recognize, but these are smaller. Way smaller, yeah. Right? And then the two sizes of the teeth. 
So you haven't seen this before. No, you got me on this one. That's interesting because when I saw this, I thought, there's no way this works. But then I thought, wait, if it does work, then it's a common kitchen tool and it used to exist in wood and it used to exist in metal and Josh and I'll know what it is. So, okay, okay, I'm leaning towards this probably won't work for its intended Okay, okay, okay. Do you have any guesses? But it looks like it feels like a nice sturdy piece of... It thing. is. Yeah. The comb, it, the teeth are reminding me of something to do with pastry. Okay. That's my first thought is somehow this is going to score pastry or make some grooves or maybe uh, that's my, that's what okay, I'm I'll thinking. I'll give you a first. clue. Okay. Oh my Here God. Here are some really? herbs from my garden. Oh, you, there's beautiful bunches. This is some nice mint from your garden. This is mint. Yeah. Beauty. So, so is this thing going to strip? It's meant to. Uh, really? Either pulling it through here or pulling it through. Uh, the circle is supposed to be for kale and such, so I did bring some kale from my for garden kale. as well. Oh my god! So. Oh my god! I love what a thing. And this, okay? Do you have some? Oh, you have some that's rosemary time. or thyme? That's thyme, okay, and I brought some parsley. This is the true test here with okay. this beautiful rosemary. On this skinny one. So then I, okay, so. So that should technically go, go through the down, comb. Right? You go upside, oh, through the comb? Yes. But against the grain or with the grain? I don't know. I guess we'll have to right? try. I didn't read the, oh, no, oh, no, that's not working at all. Maybe no, against the okay. grain. Okay, so, but then, all right, all right, all right. So here, let's I had a sneaking down. suspicion. Oh my God, you're beautiful little abigos. <laughs> oh, I, I keep knocking it. the mic. Okay. Okay, no, I'm determined. Oh. I mean, it technically did it, but it broke the stem three times while yeah. I tried. Should I try with okay, the mint? Has a sturdier stem, so maybe. But I feel like the mint is one of these. No, try it. All right, but then it's like you have to go against to pull the thing off, which means I am now going to shove this bundle of herbs into one of these holes. Feels like a lot through. of work. <laughs> no, it just went no. right through. Oh, one, one. I caught one. <laughs> I caught one. Yeah, try the uh, the more kale type situation. See if that works. Okay. Mm, kind of. But the the amount of time when I just do them with my hand while I'm like, sort of mindlessly doing a thing. Oh, oh, here. What's what's this? Oregano. Yeah. I feel Good I eye. feel excited about this. Oregano. No. It's just breaking the stem. It's just breaking right, this. Oh, so, but then all the herbs get sort of bunched up in the teeth. And I mean, maybe that's what you want, but. Nah. Oxo, I don't know about this one. Oh, whoa. Did you see how smoothly that happened, though? That worked well. Okay, maybe it so just, it's uh, a really awesome uh, oregano peeler. And that was on the small. Or oh, maybe my Here, problem was. Oh, here's some parsley. My problem was using <laughs> this, the larger teeth. Okay, okay. Oh, but I wonder, I see, because you're handling me, you're handing me a bunch, and I'm wondering if that may be the key, that this is about a whole, a bundle at a time okay. and not. Well, you'd hope so. I mean, it's supposed to be efficient. No? This is like I'm combing, <laughs> it looks like, like you're I'm combing, combing the, the parsley. parsley. Okay. So it's a sort of gentle nudge. That's nice. Let's try something else. <laughs> okay, through the hole. Okay, holes. through the hole. No. No. Maybe try the smaller one. Okay. I feel like there was some traction. I'm losing faith. I am as well, but yeah. this is fun. <laughs> hmm. 
that's not a thing. I mean, it's look, technically, cartilage. there's all this stem in my hand. And then there's this, no, but there's stem in here, too. No. 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 Oh, but it's such a, it's a beautiful thing. And I had to, it is a beautiful a thing. A glimmer of hope, because I have to say, uh, especially with, you know, making pesto and things like that, if I had a way to easily strip, yeah. I would be so happy. It's the truth. Um, this is not but it. But no, this is not it. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying The Hot Plate, rate us or leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Hot Plate Pod. Follow me at Beerology on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And follow Joshna at Joshna Maharaj on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thank you to Joshna for joining us today. Hot Plate is recorded at Eggplant Picture and Sound Studios. Our audio engineer is Brad Tigwell. Original music by Dave Bell. Hot Plate is produced by Mirella Amato, that's me, and Dennis Coyne. That's a wrap.